Welcome to Creative Place, the podcast for creative placemakers. I'm your host, Andrea Orlando. Today, we're going to talk about the culture of no and how to get to yes with your creative placemaking project. I'm at the 2019 conference of the New Jersey chapter of the American Planning Association, where I caught up with Julie Burroughs, who is the principal cultural planner at Metris Arts Consulting. After years of working in the realm of public art, she's discovered a few strategies for taking your creative project from concept to reality. So tell me a a little bit about your career path. You started as a planner in Chicago, right? Yeah, that's correct. Um, After I went to grad school for planning, I moved back to Chicago where I grew up and worked at a small consulting firm called Economics Research Associates, which actually no longer exists. They were merged into a larger firm. Um, But there I really got the bug for arts and culture. They did a lot of feasibility studies for commercial attractions, museums, Uh, And it was super intriguing, very analytical. From there, I went to the City of Chicago Department of Planning, where I worked in central district development, so downtown development. And it was um, a time when the city was very aggressive in acquiring buildings, redeveloping them. We did a plan for State Street and accomplished most everything in that plan. And again, part of that downtown district was the North Loop Theater District. And again, kind of got the bug for arts and culture related downtown developments. Um, And then kind of organically evolved into a new role at the Department of Cultural Affairs, where I got the title of Director of Cultural Planning and started on this journey of really tying together urban planning and arts and culture. And I was at Cultural Affairs for many, many years uh, with a very charismatic leader that many people might know. Um, Lois Weisberg was written about by Malcolm Gladwell in The Tipping Point. Um, And she was this incredible visionary cultural leader who really encouraged innovation and growth and expansion of the cultural sector. And there my job was really to help in any way I could leverage the tools of planning to help arts organizations and artists to grow and be more sustainable. And that work culminated in doing a cultural plan for the city of Chicago. Um, And then after a couple years of implementing that plan, I uh, was offered a job with the city of Boston to go head up a newly created Mayor's Office of Arts and Culture and head up a cultural plan there. Um, And I was there for uh, three and a half years, so we did a cultural plan, and and then I oversaw two years of implementation of that plan, um, which included a huge number of new programs and a lot of growth um, in what the city does to support the cultural sector. Um, and then very recently, I moved on from there and joined a firm called Metris Arts Consulting. Um, and they're located in Easton, Pennsylvania, just over the river from New Jersey. And at Metris, um, very uh, the founder is Anne Gadwa Nicodemus, and she's renowned in the field of creative placemaking for having co-authored 
the um, kind of seminal NEA study where the term creative placemaking was, you know, it's attributed to that study that they coined that term creative placemaking. So I'm at uh, Metris heading up um, the expansion of a cultural planning practice, which is, uh, you know, I've only been there a few months, but it's very multifaceted and it's mostly working with municipalities um, and towns and helping them to incorporate arts and culture into their planning efforts um, and help them build their capacity to address community issues through arts and culture. So it's more multifaceted than creative placemaking, um, but it certainly does encompass many of the elements of creative placemaking. Mm-hmm. And you talk about uh, something that you call the culture of no. What is the culture of no? Yes. So this is something that I encountered in my many, many years as a municipal planner, um, where I was a municipal planner for over 22 years. And when you're working with artists and working with cultural nonprofits, very often they have creative, innovative ideas that don't really fit within the framework of traditional regulations, whether it's zoning, licensing, building permits, approvals, what have you. And what I found again and again is when anything out of the box, out of the ordinary, that didn't fit into a category was encountered by a regulatory agency, it was just an immediate no. We've never done that. We don't have a word for it. It doesn't fit in. If it's not expressly permitted, it's assumed to be forbidden. That's the ethos. And I had that explained to me by a zoning administrator. I was like, wait, 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 wait. Just because something that was written 150 years ago didn't account for the fact that recording studios might be a thing in the future. And there's no word for it and there's no category for it, so it shouldn't be permitted. There's just this huge disconnect between the reality in modern day sort of functioning businesses, creative enterprises, what artists do, city building, um, what have you. They're just not reflected in the regulations. And there's this immediate kind of knee jerk, no, not allowed. Um, And so I coined that the culture of no, other people have called it that as well. And what I was always trying to do as an advocate for arts and culture, um, and not a regulatory agency, I was trying to flip that on its end, and instill in people this culture of yes, that uh, and that's a little bit of a nod to that um, Chicago second city, yes, and ethos, right, where it's improv, it's building on, it's positive, it's affirmative. You know, you want to do a studio, an artist studio. Yes. And let's help make that happen. So this sort of yes. And is a a very sort of Chicago second city improv ethos. And I've always embraced that as a cultural planner. Um, How can we get to a culture of yes? And actually, if you think about it, it's, um, sort of a very positive, affirming way to go about urban planning, creative placemaking, cultural development, sort of how we support the growth and evolution and innovation in, in our cities, in our towns. Mm-hmm. Um, can you give us an example of uh, a time when you got to yes uh, and overcame that culture of no? Yeah, um, so there's a lot of examples, and I would say that um, what we're trying to do, I, I guess in public art in particular, um, where 
for the public art permit process in Boston, there really was just a lot of gray area. When do you need a permit? When don't you need a permit? Um, and it was pretty onerous for artists to to apply and get a, a permit, even for like a temporary one-day art installation. Um, and one of the things we worked on, one of the barriers and hurdles we worked on removing was insurance. Insurance is often a real sticking point for anything involving uh, a city government. Um, they require levels of insurance that small businesses just don't have would be prohibitively expensive for them to have that kind of insurance. Artists many times don't have that level of insurance, whether it's general liability, workman's comp, you name it. So what we did was worked with the risk um, management people to create an insurance waiver so that for many public art um, permit applications, you could just check the insurance waiver and saying, I'm not going to have insurance. I don't. And, and the city would be okay with you not having insurance. And that just removed a huge hurdle that got in the way of um, artists being able to do temporary art installations in Boston. So this is something I would say that um, insurance often a sticking point and just figuring out, well, like, do you really need the insurance? Do you need it for every instance? Can there are times when you can waive it, knowingly waive it and just sort of say it's really low risk. We're going to be fine with it. And, and, and from my perspective, that's a real culture of yes solution is just to say we're not going to require it um, and then uh, another example is to just clarify when you do or don't need permission a lot of the times I would be advising arts organizations or artists well look if you did it this way you don't need permission or a permit but if you do it that way you're going to invoke all these regulations all these permissions it's going to be really hard for you to to get to yes so maybe this small tweak um, uh, could get you to yes a lot faster and so there's just knowing those nuances and then helping lay people and artists understand those nuances and sort of what that threshold might be um, and then of course you know the other thing is to is to change that threshold so another really good example and uh, this one's from Chicago is for theaters and the public assembly licenses public assembly licenses were seen as really difficult to get um, and technically no theater was operating legally without a a public place of assembly license. The problem is that the assembly rules were written for theaters that were 500,000 seats, 5,000 seats, when actually we're talking about a 40 seat storefront. So fire, egress, electrical, zoning, those rules really needed to be size specific. So one of the things we were able to do in a comprehensive zoning rewrite was um, to craft zoning regulations for theaters that were size specific. If you're under 100 seats, it's this. If you're between 100 and 500, it's that. If you're over 1,000, it's that. So that size specificity is a way to say we acknowledge that we need to right size 
our regulations. And it took many years to change and update zoning, to then have the licensing classifications that were more fine-grained, to have electrical regulations sort of follow in with size. But once you had that ethos of, oh, the way we get to yes is to be more responsive and right-sized to how we regulate creative enterprises, then we can just get to yes so much more easily. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned earlier um, that artists can simply tweak their proposal so that they're more likely to get approval. Um, how do they even find out? How, what, how, what would advice would you give uh, to people to find out what that tweak is? Yeah, there's, it's, it's really difficult. Cities, one of my pet peeves in the culture of no is um, there's many layers to this. And I understand we can get in the weeds really fast and maybe we already are in the weeds. But um, one of the ways that I think cities perpetuate the culture of no is that it's very difficult to find out what is or isn't permitted. And sometimes, like, you have to have a law degree to be able to wade through these ordinances if you even know where to find it. First of all, it's hard to find, hard to understand, and then there is gray area. So one of the ways, um, both in Chicago and Boston, we were able to kind of demystify and get a little bit closer to a culture of yes was to put the information online and then also um, create a resource online and also in Boston we went further and created a point person so that we didn't only talk the talk we really walked that walk and we created this artist resource manager position um, and it's a website. And then there's also a person you can call. I'm really excited that I had the idea that the city exchanged the phone number. It was 635. And I had this idea like, let's make it like the art bat phone. And you would just dial A-R-T-S, you know. <laughs> And so I dialed that number and it was some, some office, you know, in fleet or man, you know, some other. And, and I asked, I asked the city, I was like, oh, can we get that phone number? Can you ask that person? Would they give us the arts phone number? And I called the arts bat phone. Um, so you can just call, you can email, you can text, you can Facebook, you can sit in person, you can call them and ask them. And then they are tasked with figuring out that nuance so it, it makes it really user-friendly I realize that not every that might not be the right solution for every city but there's no there's no um that there's no one way to skin the cat many places have an ombudsman where there is a point person whose job it is to help people figure out how do I get my answer how do I get through the red tape so sometimes there's an ombudsman role that's official might be unofficial but then sometimes an arts council or volunteer lawyers for the arts or there might be some arts infrastructure in your town where there is a person who 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 informally has that information in in the new york area there's a wonderful organization called uh, the new york foundation for the arts they serve new york but they actually have a national footprint and they have a monthly artist help desk, and it's tw Twitter-based. So there's a hashtag, and tweet your question to the artist help desk, and um, as kind of a cool way of doing it that's very nimble and, and isn't geographically specific. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, one of the things we have a lot of here in New Jersey is very small municipalities. And earlier I heard you say that if a town doesn't have an arts council, it should think about forming one. Yeah, I'll never be a proponent of more nonprofits, but I am a big proponent of partnerships. And so often there might be an arts council that exists. It might be all volunteer, or maybe it's even um, an arts nonprofit that might be doing arts education or engagement, creative engagement with youth or seniors. So sometimes it takes a little bit of digging to find where are those creative people? Where's that arts infrastructure? Sometimes there's an arts council with... um, I would say emerging capacity, um, but but yeah, an arts council really could be the right solution. Sometimes you need to have an arts council in order to get that funding from the state arts council. So um, it can be a very, very helpful way to organize the creative energy and build capacity and be then a great partner with government. And what are some of the resources for creative placemakers looking to incorporate arts into public spaces? Yeah, there's a couple of great um, arts and planning toolkits that I want to mention. Um, The uh, two cities that I've lived in, Boston and Chicago, both have regional planning entities that created an arts and planning toolkit. So there's CMAP and MAPC. So similar, you know, Chicago Metropolitan Area Planning Council. um, And then the um, Massachusetts... um, Uh, planning agency right and so they actually have developed a much more recent arts and planning toolkit and I think if you just google arts and planning toolkit you'll find it it's got a lot of best practices and interviews with practitioners really documenting what are some best practices for planners to follow in terms of incorporating arts and culture into their community. There are definitely some cultural planning um, handbooks that are available. And then, um, of course, the Consortium of Creative Placemaking has a ton of toolkits, trainings. Um, and then something that planners aren't usually that aware of is Americans for the Arts. They're an incredible resource. Um, A lot of it is available for free. Even more of it is available if you're a member. Um, In in particular, they've got a lot of toolkits on cultural equity. They've got a lot of information about cultural planning, some research studies about arts and healing and arts and well-being, and then a tremendous resource for public art. So if people are looking to Um, do public art planning or model ordinances or percent for art or calls for artists or RFPs. There's a huge number of resources um, at Americans for the Arts. Thank you for sharing that information with us. And thank you so much for, for talking to me today. Oh, sure. Anytime. Happy to come back. You've been listening to Creative Place produced by the National Consortium for Creative Placemaking. Please visit us at cpcommunities.org. And if you like this program, please consider making a donation. Bye for now.